Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Uh, my name is Pete Cazero. It's great to be with you uh, today. Our topic is triggers, dealing with triggers and uh, or hot buttons or vulnerabilities. Because if we don't understand our triggers and or our hot buttons or vulnerabilities and how other people in our team are responding to their own triggers or hot buttons, enormous problems can break out in teams and we end up recycling ourselves in kind of an infinity loop that we can't get out of. So I, I want to talk to you in the first part in this podcast about understanding triggers, our own triggers and others. Uh, and then the second podcast on triggers, part two, I want to talk about how do I actually break them? How do I break that repetitive, unhealthy cycle? But let me uh, before I launch into the topic, let me just make a couple of announcements here. Uh, this week, the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course is released, being released by Zondervan this week of September 20th. Uh, it is a the fruit of 21 years of year, uh, 21 years of work, and especially this past year uh, of our third really revision of it. Uh, eight skills developed over these 21 years to actually revamp the way we do loving well in the name of Jesus. It's discipleship in the area of not just loving God, but loving others. And uh, we're so excited about it. It's a We feel a great breakthrough in the area of discipleship globally. Uh, the Emotionally Skills, which we self-published, has been really used around the world up to this point. But now we've joined them together in the two discipleship courses, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Courses. Uh, this first one, Spirituality, is about loving God. The second one on relationships is loving other people. Uh, and so now churches are taking them all over uh the world are using them and implementing them to transform their churches. So Jerry and I are actually going to be in Novi, Michigan, in the Detroit area on September 29th, and we're going to be doing an all-day training in both these courses so churches can carry them and implement them. Uh, and as well, I want to invite you and encourage you not just to pick up the material, but attend perhaps one of those live streams I'm doing every month uh, to train church leaders to bring this to their church. Uh, and so you can go on our website and look under the speaking tab and you'll see that. Okay. So uh, I encourage you to do that at www.emotionallyhealthy.org. So uh, as we enter this topic of triggers, this is uh, really advanced genogram your family. If any of you have read the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, the first issue for a leader is to face their shadows, uh, to be very self-aware of how our past has impacted us in the present. And so actually in both emotionally healthy discipleship courses, we talk about going back to go forward. And, and in the relationships course, you actually build a basic genogram uh, of how your family in the past has impacted you in the present. Now, a genogram is a visual tool to, to document the history of the dynamics of our family relationships and then their impact upon us over three to four generations. It, it helps us examine unhealthy patterns from our past that we're bringing into the present. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, it's it's a it's it's a it's a very serious thing to do, but it's a great start to begin to do to you know, become self-aware. And so, uh, again, I'm assuming that you've done some basic work on your history, because it helps inform the level we're talking about now, which is triggers. Because you see, uh, let me just give you some some basic examples. Let's say, for example, uh, you know, let's take Allison. Her parents divorced when she was seven. Uh, she remembers the day her parents told her they were getting divorced. And uh, they said, I love you, her father said, I'll be there for you, the father promised. But then six months later, he ended up remarrying, moving, starting a new family. And she and her brother rarely saw her father for 20 years. So her whole approach to life now is cautious. She's careful. Uh, and just kind of, there's a negative script in her that says, you know, don't trust people. Uh, you know, John immigrated from the United, to the United States from China. He left his 
his parents immigrated from China. They left everything, culture, family, language, jobs, all to get their parent, to get their kids a better life in the United States. Parents worked six and a half days a week, 24-hour days, make it in America was the message he got. You know, he excelled at school, graduated at the top of his class. But basically, he got a message. Your, your worth and your value are based on your performance and what you achieve. And that was deeply rooted in him and then informs all of his life. Let's take a, a guy named Joseph. He heard a lot of yelling and screaming in his family. Uh, his father actually had an affair at one point. Uh, and his role was kind of calming everybody down. He was the peacemaker. Joe becomes a pastor. He avoids conflict, avoids angry people. Whenever there's a negativity or anger in the room, he, he, he withdraws. He's got a message inside of him that says conflict is dangerous. Conflict is bad. Stay away from it. And so and when we talk about triggers, the question I have for you is, do you know your triggers? Uh, those things deep inside of you uh, that inform the way you see often yourself and what's happening around you. Because when we're in leadership, we find ourselves in very complex, challenging, interpersonal situations. Now, think of yourself growing up. We've taken millions, think of film, millions and millions of miles of film footage, and we organize that into our head. So it can be things like, you know, I'm a loser. Uh, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, it might be, uh, I'm being rejected or abandoned, or I feel invisible, or I'm stupid, uh, or I don't have any power. I'm helpless. But see, once you get that in the early years of your life, the first five, 10 years of your life, uh, it becomes kind of inside of us, and it becomes the way, the lens through which we see all of life. Uh, and when something happens in the present that triggers something from the past, uh, it's like your body physically reacts. Uh, and I, uh, let me just try to give you a number of examples uh, that may help this be clear to you. And you may recognize them uh, in situations you've been around. So, you know, I say something that just lands in your history. And so, say, for example, we're in a room and I need to get a, a book off the shelf. And I say, hey, Joe, would you get that book off the shelf? But, uh, I, you know, Joe, don't worry about it. I, th I don't think you could reach it. I think you're too short. Uh, Jane, why don't you reach it? Uh, and the bam, Joe just takes that. And, and, and again, it being short, not being incompetent, and uh, all of a sudden he takes a downward slope. I mean, his whole body feels it. Or say, you know, I ask everybody's opinion in the room, but I just, I don't see you. I forget, I, I, just, I just didn't see you. And, uh, but it touches something deep inside of you and you withdraw, you find yourself angry. Uh, it's so personal to you. Uh, you just want to leave the job. It's, I'm, I'm not important. Uh, and again, you don't say anything. You slink back. I'm not valued. Uh, but it touches something deep. I, I remember one person on our staff team who, uh, if, if she was not included in significant decisions, she said to herself, I, a message got in her, I'm unimportant. I'm just not important. And nobody cares about me. It's, and she would withdraw. She would get angry. She would triangle. Uh, and again, leadership, these issues come up, especially on, on teams and, and leadership, because we're replaying for people, especially in authority figures. Our history plays out in the present, in our current behavior. And we have choices on how either we're going to grow up through them and mature, uh, we're going to either take it personally, or we're going to move through it in a healthy way, which we'll talk about again in the next podcast. So again, let's think, for example, you're leading a meeting, and 
uh, a person doesn't show up. How do you interpret that? Uh, now, again, we're not saying they, they do it all the time, uh, but, you know, they just don't show up. And, and you can say to yourself, they think I'm stupid or I'm inadequate. And so they walk in the room or we see them afterwards. You say, how rude can you be? Or we think they're trying to hurt me. But that comes out of our history. Uh, there's so many other ways to interpret it, right? They're, they got caught in traffic. Uh, but if I take it personal and I get triggered by it, thinking I'm, they think I'm stupid or incompetent, uh, I see them. I say, you know, you're a jerk. You know, but imagine saying, you know, how fortunate uh, they could only make it. They made a half hour of the meeting. Hey, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I think one fellow came to me after I was preaching and he says, Pete, your sermon uh, was awful. He actually didn't use the word awful. It was a it was a worse word than that. Uh, your, your sermon was awful. Now, the question, I have a choice, is how do I interpret that? Uh, again, I, I can go back to my, my family of origin, a message I heard millions of miles of footage, which is, you're a loser, Pete. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, you'll never know what you're doing. You should, you're going to wreck this church. Uh, I stink. Uh, or saying to him, hey, what was it about the preaching that was awful for you? Uh, but again, how do I interpret that? Uh, does the trigger take over my body? And before I know it, I'm reacting. I have one good friend, uh, Steve, who had a learning disability and a very slow reader. And so I was always, always behind in school and uh, you know, being called stupid by his friends. And then he had a father who reinforced that. And so he had you know, great feelings of inadequacy growing up in school. So he grew up and he determined, you know, he ended up going to grad school and actually got a doctorate. But the funny thing about it, he says, even with a doctorate, um, I still feel stupid. See, people get, people get degrees and they still feel stupid because it's deeper inside of them than a degree. And uh, so you would interpret all kinds of situations. The way, the way a person even would ask him a question, if it had a bit of a zing to it, he would, it would just touch that inadequacy, that sense of being stupid, and he would get all tongue-tied. It would just be a big mess. And my temptation is to go down that, that road. When you find yourself reactive uh, or angry, it's a great window into your soul. Because anger, of, of course, covers up is only it, it covers up the primary emotions of fear and sadness. And so when you're angry, you want to say to yourself, what am I feeling beneath that anger? Because it gives you clues. So for example, I've, my wife, Jerry, has never rejected me, but I have felt rejected by her many times. I projected it onto her. I manufactured it. So you know, one of my core uh, triggers uh, or scripts that I took growing up was, uh, I had a few of them, but one was, you know, uh, I'm, I'm being abandoned. My, my parents were not there for me growing up. They weren't available emotionally or even physically. You know, my mom had mental illness, so we took care of her. My dad traveled all the time, so we never saw him. And so I, I had this deep abandonment. So I would read abandonment into all kinds of situations. So when Jerry, uh, who loves me and has only shown me loyalty for, you know, our whole 33 years of marriage, uh, when before I was aware of all this, when she would uh, go go away for overnight, uh, I, I would feel rejected. My body would actually feel it in convulsions, and I would actually say to her in the early years, "God doesn't, you know, God doesn't want you to go." And I would I would spiritualize it. Uh, I, I projected onto her something in the present that really went back in the past. I mean, I'll never forget the first time she went away for three days with her friends on a, on a trip. I felt like I was going through withdrawal from heroin. I knew it was fine. I had the four girls at the time. You know, they're small, taking care of them. Uh, and I remember, I, I, I remember my body. 
And I, I said to my, I was working through my triggers. Uh, I was rewiring my neural chemistry, but everything in me was screaming that she's rejected me. And so everything from her saying no to lovemaking, I could interpret rejection in all kinds of things. Her having a bad day, not talking to me before we went to sleep. Uh, but again, it was a, it was called a, it was a trigger. It was a, it was a wound deep inside of me that I had to work through. Is I, I had a friend who, who, who just, he would orchestrate the church to reject him. Uh, in other words, he got fired from three jobs. And I finally, you know, as we did some genogram work, and, I, and then I sat down with him. We really kind of worked through it. I said, do you realize that you, you impose such rapid change on your church? They have to fire you. And you almost create the conditions for that board to reject you. And I went back to his family. He felt more comfortable being rejected than actually being in a healthy community and relations with that board. But he had unresolved stuff that went way back that he had to go back to. And now he's doing just fine in a church now years later. But it was amazing. You know, I, I had a, a guy working for me once, and, and we just hired him. And uh, he actually wasn't even directly reporting to me. And I remember that uh, his supervisor, at my request, asked him to do something different, uh, do something maybe a little bit better. It was a development opportunity. And he totally freaked out. Uh, and it, it, the message he heard was, I'm never enough. It's never good enough. Nobody loves me. I'm a failure. And he got very reactive, uh, very angry, created a crisis. And it was it, for us watching from the outside, it, we were stunned. He couldn't even see it. Uh, but And so he tried to elicit from us uh, anger and get him to reject him and get into a spiral, which, of course, we, we, we didn't do. Uh, but it was fascinating that he was, again, he was new to our, our church and then new to our staff. Uh, but was very unaware of that uh, that trigger inside of himself. So again, the term used often in, in psychology is repetition compulsion, and and that we repeat our history in, in the present from the from the past, and that we project it onto people. He doesn't care about me, and our body says it. And, and so, again, it, 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 we may not we feel it in our bodies as if it's all happening right now when you're in it, but actually it goes way back to something in the past. In fact, you know I. I remember I, as a fellow on our staff team at one time, he used to be, you know, he was critical and he would really point out, he would point out my mistakes and there's plenty of them to point out uh, uh, quickly. And uh, in my family, when you made a mistake, you, you, you got a beating and you got a, a verbal tirade that uh, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you better just quit and get out of here. And uh, my, that message, you don't know what you're doing, uh, was one I heard all the time. And so when this person would criticize me, I used to go into a hole and I, and I used to surrender leadership to him and others because I didn't know what to do. But I, I would get irrational. Even though I was a lead pastor at the time, I no longer functioned like one. And I basically gave authority to whoever was the, the closest person walking by me. And, uh, and, and so it's really important that you begin to think about what are some scripts that I might be carrying from my past that are still impacting me in the present uh, today, and I want to, you know, begin to at, you know, confront those and look at them, and begin to say, how can I change that? And then you got the question of, what are some scripts that people are carrying around me uh, that they're overreacting? Because when I that internalized message has incredible, incredible power. I, I, you always want to find out when you, the people around you, you know, the, who work for you, what was their relationship with their own parents, the authority figures with whom they grew up. Because if they never worked that through, and not that it can always be resolved, but they've never did the hard work of, as a now adults, of working through the relationship with their parents, 
it eventually will get projected onto you as the boss in 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 a church or in in the workplace. Authority is a very powerful dynamic. So, for example, if, if I was always afraid of my mother or father, and now Jackie is my boss, I'm going to play it out with her. If I felt my father was really critical, I never really w- reworked it uh, with him, never worked it through. And so now I'm hearing criticism from my boss all over again. Uh, and my boss says, gee, I wish you could do this differently. And I hear it as criticism, not as advice, not as somebody growing me. Uh, it's, it's a very important grown-up task to begin to relate to your parents as an adult to adult uh, as you grow older. And then at some point, you will become your parents' parent. So we have to go through three stages with our parents, ideally. Uh, there are authority figures. Then we grow into peers in a sense. You know, we're, we're, we're equal. They're always my parents, but there's peerage. It's called P-E-E-R-A-G-E. And then eventually I become their parents. I parent them. The problem is sometimes we don't walk through those developmental tasks in a healthy way. And so we're, our parents are 85, but we still function like we're the youngest child, 12 years old, the family, and our mom's telling us how to dress. Uh, and we're listening to it actually and getting all bent out of shape. And uh, so it's a great danger. We don't walk through those healthy developmental uh, steps. And so I, I do, in a, in a nice way, want to find out from people uh, who are on our team about their relationships with their family of origin. So family of origin, uh, your marriage, and then, of course, the workplace are all very, very powerful. So uh, how do I get out of this? How, how do I move through this uh, personally? And then how do I help my team create a safe place where people can actually mature and grow up and break the unhealthy patterns or scripts that they're carrying from their family of origin? So we're going to talk about that next week in Triggers Part 2. But for now, let me just encourage you. One, uh, if you've not read the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, uh, I want to encourage you to pick it up. And there's a chapter called Face Your Shadow. Uh, Face Your Shadow. And it's the first piling or, or inner life issue that must be thought through. It's a key part of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course as well. You'll construct a genogram. I would encourage you to do a basic genogram. That is basic level. We're talking here now about some high level. How do I now bring this, uh, bring a healthy, emotionally healthy, uh, safe relationship to my team, uh, to myself, uh, to my friendships, to my marriage, etc. And so I want to encourage you Pick up the Emotionally Leader, read that chapter, and if you can get a hold of the Emotionally Relationships course, uh, do a genogram of your family. And um, uh, before next week, you listen to the next phase. But I'll see you next week. We'll talk about part two, triggers, and how to resolve them. Great being with you. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.